So welcome back, listeners, to the final episode of Season 1 of Inside the System, the series where I interview your favorite creators to help you get an inside peek at how they grow their personal brands and business. I'm glad and honored to have get Seb as my final guest for this season. And I think this is a great way to wrap up the season with a banger. This is the space is for seasoned creators and those who are just starting out. I want it to be the ultimate resource for anyone looking to achieve greater success in building personal brands and businesses. And joining me t- today is the chief of Crocs and a Twitter growth powerhouse, the master of building unforgettable brands who has conquered the Twitterverse in such a short period of time, unlike any other that I know of at least, with a meteoric rise from 0 to 12.6k followers in just under six months. He has shattered records and left his competition in the dust. So get ready to be inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools to dominate your own Twitter journey. Let's get right into this masterclass. Sebastian, thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest, my brother. Could you please take a, mo- a moment to share a little bit about yourself and the work you do for those who don't even already know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So basically, as you know, Sebastian, been growing my Twitter account for six and a half months now. Scaled my business, coaching and mentorship business to five figures in two, three months. And uh, right now I'm on track to scale it to six figures by the end of the year. Also trying to build up my digital products empire. Started in December 2022 from a humble account uh, on which I just post platitudes and quotes. Very quickly shifted to professional account, shared my story, shared my experiences prior to actually making the account, learned copywriting, met a lot of interesting people, made Crocs go viral, uh, got it to around 13,000 posts per day. So it went very, very viral. And then networked with accounts ranging from uh, 100K to 150K followers, also made a lot of friends and uh, yeah, Definitely looking to scale it further in the coming months. I like it, man. Um, yeah, it's it's so crazy because when I think back to one of your posts, I think you said by the end of the year you were thinking to be at 10k followers. Um, how much has changed? And we haven't even yeah, we've just about hit halfway. I don't think we've even finished halfway. To be fair, so it's, it's crazy. Um, I think let's dive right into organic growth, and then we'll going to monetization there let's start with content creation strategies and what has been effective in driving organic growth for you definitely sharing my personal stories and experiences from what i found people on twitter mostly seek something relatable they also seek entertainment so the only pillar of content that truly works is just being yourself i tried a lot of different approaches try sharing their value tried sharing peer proof. I also tried sharing anything that works for bigger guys who tried to copy their thread format, their tweet format. I did that early on, uh, definitely in December, but uh, from January and then on, I found that only finding your own personal style is only what works. So since then, I'm mostly using the EVA strategy. So basically entertainment post in the morning, value tweet in the noon and uh, authority tweet in the afternoon, which basically targets uh, three key metrics, which is engagement, growth, and monetization. And of course, uh, it gets me funds on the way. But uh, the main thing that drives growth is definitely being personal and relatable and entertaining. But also a great factor to my growth was definitely finding a close circle, as I did with Glenn, with Dylan, with Tatsuki. It's definitely a power tool to just be able to network daily, share jokes, share ideas, share strategies, what worked, what did not. And you know, you'll probably get things that you can't even buy from us in that chat. So it's definitely private. And uh, it uh, went to the point where there were people literally asking us uh, uh, how much they need to pay to join, which was quite fun, to be honest. That's insane. It's like a little private uh, mastermind or circle that people want to get involved in. Um, I can definitely see uh, you guys leveraging that as a community as well, uh, if you wanted to and make money from there. But we'll talk about uh, the chain, uh, upcoming teasers later on. You know, you talked about the AVA framework, right? 
And at the beginning of this year, if I remember correctly, a lot of people were going down the whole good morning posts and then things start, it started to die out and things started to shift. And I'm curious, do you think uh, there'll be another change for in, in the future in the way that you deliver the posts throughout the day? And the follow-up to that is, how do you identify those changes and how can people go about creating frameworks? So there were several questions there, but I'll go over them again if you need to. Honestly, the algorithm is changing even now. I've noticed that uh, the engagement has died off at least the past few days, and also the growth has died off. I think that it get, got better today, but for the past three or four days or so, it was extremely slow. And uh, what's weird is that even flexing numbers and wins has stopped having any effect. So I think that someone at the Twitter HQ definitely got fed up with uh, the same blood content everyone's seeing on the timeline. As of now, what works is mostly sharing personal stuff. I know that it sounds weird, but I had the greatest experience with sharing maybe not failures, but I'd say more of uh, obstacles and also relatable things that you found on your own journey. So definitely sharing your own emotions and also the path that you've paved towards a certain goal, whether in your business, in your journey, or even in your real life outside of Twitter. People do seek experiences, but they also do seek relatable and entertaining stuff. Actually, I think that over 90% of people on Twitter came here just to get entertained, maybe learn something on the way, but it was mostly uh, for entertainment early on. Even you could take an example of YouTube. If you come on YouTube and scroll the timeline, you're mostly picking videos to watch or at least to watch for the first 10 or 20 seconds or so, just because the headline or the image has entertained you, it made you interested, and same applies to Twitter. So basically, if you can't get someone interested enough to at least click the post or engage with it, you are pretty much done on Twitter. Yeah, I understand. And it's, it, uh, I see your point about the flexing wins as well. It's become, there's so much of it, it kind of doesn't seem special anymore. So I think people are not interested in reading uh, them as much, maybe. And I'm curious, do you think, so we have frameworks that work, right? Like the Ava framework that you're using, and I know many creators are adopting it. Do you think there's something to be said about going the opposite way to disrupt that pattern and growing from that? If everyone's doing the same frameworks and you, you're changing it up to kind of disrupt the pattern, do you think that that's a good way to go about it? That absolutely depends because um, I can actually give you a very good example, polarizing. I think that uh, a lot of creators tried polarizing something. For example, there was this one creator, Judy Ahrens, I think. She had around uh, also 12k follows and she polarized a lot. But the main mistake that she has done, she wanted to also go against the uh, what everyone was doing back at the time. Everyone went about personality and authenticity and kindness and being honest and being transparent about whatever they were doing. But Julie tried to, well, polarize. But what she has done wrong is she didn't polarize an idea. She went overboard and started polarizing her audience. And the main issue with that is that I've seen a lot of people start polarizing the Crocs trend because, you know, it may be annoying to some people, and it's all right. And there are a lot of people who dislike Crocs, frankly. And if you go against the trend, then you'll probably find a circle of people who will listen to you. But if you try to polarize people behind the trend, people behind the idea, then there's a huge chance that they just get annoyed, they block you, they just absolutely forget you, or tell everyone that you're a weirdo in their circle. So my main advice would be probably if you try to stick out or to polarize or to be different, focus on the idea, focus on trends rather than the people, because, uh, well, it's easy to butthurt some people and the consequences of that may last for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. I, I remember us talking about this on uh, our call as well, uh, that people calling out specific creators, um, 
not in the sense that the way you do it with the gurus that I completely understand. But when you, there's something innocent, let's say, and it's not really harmful and it's not such a big deal. Some people make it into a big deal. They just want drama. And I understand they want to leverage that, but it is unnecessary. It reminds me of a poster, uh, similar thing to you said, what you just said now that George uh, Ten, Ten said, and it was attack the concept, not the individual. So I definitely agree with you there. You know, on the topic of uh, crocs, trends, uh, and then I've got something for, to follow up with that. How did that come about for you? And do you advise people to kind of, was it more random? Or was it calculated? I guess that's where I want to start. And then I'll follow up with the rest of the questions. Yeah, honestly, that's a very good question. I think that at the beginning, crocs were absolutely random. Neither me or Dylan had actually planned it. Uh, he started just posting images. I started joking around it. I didn't know whether I started arguing with him or actually agreed with him. I really don't recall that. But somehow we ended up to posting his as a kind of an inner joke. We just found it funny to us. And the main dogma that went behind our content, if we like it, if we feel that it's good, we'll post it. So we didn't even think that others wouldn't understand the concept itself. So basically, where the hell did Crocs get from? Most people back then were just like, what are you talking about? And uh, still, there were a lot of people who started questioning. They started tweeting about this, asking questions to other people, whether they've heard the news, what, they, what, they, what those guys are going on about, where did the crocs come from? And basically, they started to snowball the entire effect. More and more people started asking themselves questions because imagine that uh, you tweet something for the evening, go away for two days, you come back, and the morning after two or three days, you see half of my Twitter going on about singular trends, singular key keyword, crocs. So when it actually started getting traction, I think that uh, me and Dylan started to write the trend somehow. We wanted to simply make it better, make more people interested in it, simply for the sake that it was fun. And it also connected people together it also boosted our engagement a lot and brought uh, a lot of traction to our accounts and visibility. What's more is, I've mentioned already, I've closed a high-ticket client from a Crocs meme just because someone was impressed that I had enough power to actually create a trend because a lot of businesses or entrepreneurs who want to grow their brands, they want to get visibility. And if you can get visibility with a joke that everyone raves about and they're constantly engaging with you, that's the enormous bonus. That's enormous pro to you. If you're able to use trends to your advantage, that's a powerful tool. And by all means, you should use it. So in conclusion, it wasn't planned at first. We started controlling it at some point. And I would definitely, definitely recommend to start some sort of a catchphrase, a trend, but try to do it in a close circle of friends. The effects will be way, way better. Yeah, I definitely can see that it's powerful and, you know, it, it was trending. Literally, my timeline is filled with people posting about it, whether against it or for it. And even the comment sections are hilarious, like especially anyone who mentions you. Or if I just look at your comment section, someone has to mention it. So. It definitely works uh, wonders. On that last point where you were talking about recommending it to people, is there any methodology you're thinking about, maybe some sort of criteria of how to approach this? Because if everyone just goes out there trying to find anything random to kind of set as some sort of trend, it will look forced and unnatural and most likely will become annoying rather than a, a benefit. And I have kind of noticed certain people trying to use a certain word, a keyword to kind of push out some sort of trend where it doesn't come off the same way. So I'm wondering if you have thought about it from a strategic point and what would be your advice in that area? Honestly, forcing for something to appear, for example, for a trend, a catchphrase or an idea probably won't work. The funniest things, the most effective strategies, the mind-blowing ideas that actually came to me where either where I literally cared the least about making something happen. So for example, I was taking a walk or just chatting with someone or I was uh, writing something down and I thought, oh shit, that's an interesting idea. I should make that happen. It wasn't like I just sat down, started meditating, <laughs> focusing 
and uh, trying to make the Crocs idea magically appear in my head. I wasn't trying to brainstorm the entire strategy behind it. It was more of an inner joke. It was a random uh, event, a very random event, actually. Very random idea. It got from nowhere, and we just took it uh, to where it is now just because we found it fun. So if you try to force it, you will not get any results. And that's also why I recommend to get a very close circle of friends. Because if you are in a group, then there's a huge chance that you'll be able to joke, to mindstorm some interesting things, to get ideas, or to just have genuine fun. Because it's when the best ideas happen, when you just have a bunch of friends talking absolute nonsense. One of you finds something funny, and everyone else starts to catch up onto it. Great advice, Seb. Uh, and it makes sense. I think it's that's the better way and more natural way to approach this. The second thing when it comes to not so much trends, but when it comes to naming things that I've noticed you do well is the method branding, which you mentioned in your latest post. So this goes into it perfectly. So you got the Ava method. And I remember a few po threads back, you talked about the benefit model. And there's a bunch of different things that you kind of, I think the NAP model as well. So tell me more about uh, deciding to go with method branding and what advice you would give to creators here uh, for their own frameworks. Honestly, the main focus would be to target just one. And uh, many writers try to tell this to you, for example, just target one reader, target your ICP. And it's bullshit advice and it doesn't work most of the time because you force it. What I actually recommend is trying to understand the who would actually read my post and possibly get mo the most engagement. They would just absolutely love to read them. What kind of person would be that? So if I write something that I genuinely like and I stick to it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, then there will be probably somebody constantly engaging with that, one constantly seeing them, liking them, maybe even DMing me on the way. And I'd be able to analyze the type of audience that actually loves this content. And that's also why this advice, just be yourself, this authenticity advice is unfinished. Because the latter part of the formula clearly says that you should analyze what kind of people are getting attracted to your true self. If you write something that you just find genuinely interesting, genuinely entertaining, genuinely valuable, or you just know that you did authority to get your client, by all means, post it. But if you stick to it, for example, a week, you would be an idiot to not observe what kind of people actually get attracted to this content. And... When you actually get that analysis, get that perfect model of your reader or your ICP, you'll just be able to constantly stick to it. You'll be constantly able to just know what kind of person, once they see your post, they'll be 100% sure, all right, I'm going to engage with it. And then talking about your, you know, your ICP and making content for them, can we talk about ways you go about analyzing your own content uh, and say you deciding, okay, this is the type of, uh, I, so you wrote out your ICP, right? I assume you'll probably start right there. Now you're making your content for that ICP and you're analyzing, what are you looking for? What are the metrics you're looking for? Maybe emotions type of comments. Generally, how do you approach this? Honestly, I try to approach it uh, by realizing where they are at now, so basically point A, and point B, so basically basing off my own skills, my own abilities, my own will, and what I can do for them, what is the point B towards which I can actually get them? And by that, I just get sure, who do I want to target, for example, for my pitches, for my offer, or with my content, and what is the outcome that I can sell in my offer? So basically the point B. And many people try to approach it, for example, I need to know their age, I need to know whether they work after 9 to 5 or not, whether they're a business owner or not. I think that you could simply solidify and uh, kind of build a transformation, an unfinished one. So you get point A, where they are at now, basically a median, or just try to see the most average, the most common type of person that... Uh, you genuinely feel engages and likes your post the most, or for example, you think 
it will be the easiest for you to target. And then basing off yourself and your own abilities, just uh, the things that you have in you, where can you get them? And from that, you can figure it out. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I get that. Uh, I asked this to Glenn, actually, and I'll ask you. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about, about it, too. So for many creators here, point B is themselves and point A is the, pers- uh, the audience or the ICP who's a few steps back, right? What if your ICP is 10 steps ahead of you for whatever reason? Let's say your offer makes sense. Would you, uh, what would you do to approach this differently? Because I don't hear content that's focused around this uh, as much. First of all, that's clearly impossible because no one can be 10 steps ahead of you in every single metric and you aren't targeting every single metric. Let's take an example of VA. For example, a VA virtual assistant uh, doesn't know business well. They, in most cases at least, most VAs don't know business well. And yet they work, for example, for what? Six, seven, eight figure uh, business owners on their own brands just because they want to get more time from the day. They, want, they don't want to slave to pointless tasks, the low return investment ones. And that's also why the VA uh, model works so well, because they target one metric, their optimization, the time of that business owner. Uh, Same goes for accountant. For example, let's take that you make, I don't know, 50K a month. You are a really successful entrepreneur and your accountant makes uh, 4K a month or 6K a month, anything. And you see a contrast, the accountant makes way less, but why does that business owner still want an accountant near them? Why? Because they take something that's really, really terrible for that business owner. So basically wasting their time on paperwork or on an aspect of business they don't truly like and just target that metric and you underline that pain. You you make that business owner feel that pain so much that at some point they just feel obliged to get to you and okay say all right i need you to fix that problem for me and i pay you pay you and the same goes for coaches so basically i got a guy who is multitudes multitudes uh, times richer than me and yet he still hired me as a mentor and it doesn't mind that he basically exited three businesses. He sold all of them. It doesn't matter that he has a newsletter around 12 times bigger than my own. It doesn't matter that he has a big YouTube channel. He doesn't care. He doesn't have an audience on Twitter. He has no knowledge of Twitter and he wants a professional to help him. And that's also where I come in. I know Twitter. I have results on here and he doesn't care that I earn less than him. He doesn't care that I have a newsletter is 12 times smaller than his. He only cares, all right, this guy can get me results. And this is the metric in in which I like, and he doesn't. So I probably hire him. And that's probably the best way to crush your limited beliefs. Realize that nobody, and I underline nobody, is 10 times better in every single possible metric than you. There's probably one metric in there at least 10 times worse than you actually are. That's great advice, Sebastian. Um, and I, I like it. I think many people would find that quite useful, uh, especially when individuals and creators here are thinking about, okay, how can I help those who are ahead of me and feeling like that I need to earn that much money uh, in order to kind of claim that you can make that much or uh, be in that certain position. But I like the way you explained it, hone down on that one metric that you are good at. That's a pain point for the ICP and te- provide 10x value there. And that's where your money and growth comes from, right? I want to move on to uh, building um, a loyal audience, right? And most advice will probably say something like reply to your comments. I'm curious if you adopted any other interesting uh, strategies to kind of build a, a loyal audience, especially with the people who engage with you most. Yeah, honestly, as I think most people here have actually noticed, for example, if you don't engage with them, they probably don't want to engage with you. If you don't joke with them, they probably don't won't joke with you. If you don't give something to them, they probably won't give it back to you. So 
the main thing that I've lacked early on is that I was very, very self-focused. And it's a good thing, especially in business, because you should be self-focused. You should try to improve yourself, but to an extent in which you actually still help people. And, you know, in January and maybe even February, I wasn't making that much cash, mostly because I was focused only on improving my own brand, trying to perfect my skills, and I wasn't paying that much attention to, for example, get back to someone, give them some tips, or try to teach them. doesn't matter that even for free, but at the time, it wouldn't be a pain to me. I was too selfish, frankly. And uh, right now, Currently, I'm joking a lot with people. I'm also posting memes. I'm engaging with them. Doesn't matter that they have accounts multitudes times smaller than mine. I don't care. I genuinely don't care. The probably main thing is that if you don't give, you don't get. I like your approach and focus. I know there's been uh, larger creators with funny approaches like, oh, you need this many followers before I follow you or engage with you. Um, if you have this many, if you don't follow me, I probably won't entertain your DM. Just weird approaches that don't make sense, um, especially for the people who do approach you with with goodwill or in a good way. Not the let's connect DMs, right? So we'll throw that out there. I want to move on to monetization. But before we do, do you have anything else you want to mention when it comes to organic growth that I probably haven't asked you on? Yeah, honestly, only the aspect of relatability and consistency is important and not in a bullshit motivational way. No, more in a way in which you should make your content and engaging with it a part of someone's routine. So basically posting the same type of content every day on the same hour for God knows how many days straight. For example, let it be two or three months is extremely useful. It's what me and Glenn have done, basically posting on the same time every day. And what that does is makes people relate to us and uh, they just expect our posts. And when we actually post, it becomes a part of their routine. They become acquainted to it and they're all right, probably the Seb or Glenn or Joshua or anyone or V is going to post. I should engage with them because I genuinely like their content. So what most creators actually skip is just posting consistently the same type of content on every, every day on the same time, or exactly the same time. doesn't even matter if you have to schedule posts. I don't care. You should do that because that creates relatability. And someone just simply incorporates looking over your posts, reading them, and engaging with them a part of their own habit and strategy and routine. And that's immensely powerful. I never thought uh, that posting at the same time would be as valuable as you mentioned, it, but I have realized that I kind of become aware as well when, when you do post. And uh, that is usually like the time I'll, I'll look for posts and I'll usually find yours amongst them. Definitely an area that I've overlooked myself. I'm pretty haphazard with it. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking to the, uh, adopting that advice. And anyone else who doesn't use a scheduler or doesn't post at the same time, probably should consider it, maybe even look at your metrics. Let's go into monetization. Uh, I'm gonna start with this question and then we'll go into actual strategies on monetizing. Balancing between the providing valuable free content to your audience and then monetizing your offerings. What's the fine line between them? Honestly, the main part that uh, most people miss between valuable con content and selling, it's actually what I have missed in February. It's pitching yourself more because most people think, all right, if I sell too much, the people will literally stop engaging. And that's actually true because people hate to be annoyed, but it doesn't hurt to put your own offer or your own service or your products out there. It doesn't hurt and it bring, brings traffic. The main point between that and making it genuinely low pain for most people and to not make it too annoying is to connect their pains and the solution they're sick to what you're actually selling. Because if you are trying to mix growth and self-improvement content, 
but you're trying to sell a service which is basically done for you monetization, then you shouldn't expect too much success. You'll probably lose engagement and you won't sell that much. But if you, for example, were a personal trainer and posted also about self-improvement and your offer was also related to that and you would be pitching it alongside with a high quality product that people like and it's low ticket, then you're probably going to sell quite a lot. And people won't even get annoyed, for example, if you do little plugs under tweets or threads. Uh, because if you have a niche audience, they don't frankly care. Do you think that George Stan audience is going to leave him because he barges with you, you with like 30 emails every single time he relaunches copy thinkers? No. There are some unsubscribers, but no one is leaving him long term and he still grows his audience. Why? Just because he targets a singular ICP and he knows how to do it not to annoy them. He targets the pain and he gives them a very viable and very attractive solution, actually. And that's probably the main aspect on how you can bridge value content with blocks and then selling. And uh, George is definitely a good example uh, with the advice you were giving. Because when I do look at his posts, they're so random. They're just the most random stories. And sometimes I even forget that his, his model is about copywriting. But it's a flex in a sense that look at the way I wrote this story. Look at the way I post. Look at the way I format this, which... I believe that is what his audience are looking at as well. And he's got a solid fan base. So he's definitely a good case study uh, mentioning there. I want to go into the one-to-many model. But before that, do you want to talk about anything regarding effective strategies to monetize? Um, Perhaps strategies you mentioned before on your threads and anything in between before we talk about leverages because that is something I know you've been talking about in the latest threads as well. Yeah, honestly, the most powerful thing that I found out is also optimizing the link in the bio because there's a lot of, uh, you know, opinions and recommendations, for example, oh, just add a link or just add your landing page to the bio. And it doesn't work that way because most of the people have it cluttered, it's hard to reach. And what I've done is to try to minimize the amount of options one person has to click. So I have my newsletter, I have my product, I have my offer, and that's it. There's nothing else. And also as far as the offer, it's literally one thing. I don't try to sell you 15 different things. I try to sell you building a solid brand and here's the pricing, pay me or not, that's it. And uh, what people love doing is making like different tiers of payment or different versions. That's actually what I've done. I've done a tiered offer. So basically you get the three calls this month. On the middle path, you get six calls. And in the final one, you get eight calls. And it doesn't work because, you know, it builds up pain for anyone who wants to buy your clients because they have to choose. They have to choose how to manage their money or in which way it should actually go, in which way they actually get the most of that money they actually invested. And it's absolutely worthless. What is better is showing them that they can pay different sums depending on how long they want to work with you. So I'll have uh, the most expensive option if you want to buy just one month. I have a kind of less expensive option, a cheaper one, if you want to work between two and four months. And the uh, actually the least expensive option, which is uh, I think around 25% cheaper than the just one month, it goes on for at least six months. So what that does is create a sense, all right, you actually have to declare how long you want to spend time with me because the first month will cost, for example, two and a half K but the most after that will cost just $700. So you would also be inducing the pain, but if you leave me, you lose some of that money you invested in the first month. So you're obliged to go through all of these months and still pay me monthly retainer. That's an interesting model. Um, And I remember your old model was the bronze, silver, platinum package, I believe, Uh, something like that. So... You were making sales then, and now, of course, you're on your way to 15K a month. I don't know if you hit it, um, but I think you were on your way to that. And is that why you say you made the transition to one focused offer? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, one 
offer, a very well practiced offer, a very finished offer is what sells the most. People don't, lo- don't like clutter. They like simplicity, and that's what I've done. I have singular offer, singular outcome. I show my results, the results that client have uh, given me, and that's it. I don't need much more. And also, even as it is currently in a Google Doc, I've made it very simple to read. I underlined what needs to be seen first. And, uh, you know, you don't need to overcomplicate it. You don't need a landing page. You need simplicity. You need to know who are you targeting and also know their profile, the ideal client profile. You need to know how much money they should make or what is the need outcome. Because I see a lot of people with very good offers, actually, that uh, I'd say they're really sexy, they're really finished, they are really polished. Uh, they really appeal to me, but they target various ICPs with their content, with their emails. So in one email, they tell you how to live your nine to five. So they'll be targeting nine to fivers who want to become entrepreneurs and start a high side hustle. In the next email, they'll try to target business owners just because they want to do some goal shaping by themselves. And you know, you create this problem by trying to target everyone that by the end of it, you target nobody. On that point with when it comes to targeting several people, um, and, you know, you were mentioning targeting one ICP, but sometimes I look at uh, different accounts and offers and they'll say they'll target like agency, CEO, founder. In your opinion, does that still count as one ICP or is that stretching your offer too wide? Honestly, I think that's actually stretching your offer too wide. And uh, that's actually what I'm trying to nail right now. I have a lot of leads coming to me and I have uh, quite a lot of people actually paying me and I'm working with them. But what I want to test after this month is to see through which type of audience, through which type of clients I've actually gotten the best results. And only after that, I'll say, for example, I help XX and VPs uh, build their own personal brand to some goal. Or for example, I boost your business as a CEO using Twitter. So I just try to target a very, very specific niche, but only after I had some testing with a more broad approach. But still, it's very niche because I don't sell you follower growth. I sell you building an authentic and unforgettable brand basing off the case study of myself in the pinned tweet. So the type of people that actually come to me and pay me expect similar things that I've done for myself. And from there, I can only check what type of people that I actually onboarded, I get their best results for. And this will be my perfect and niche ICP that I'll be only targeting for the rest of the time here on Twitter until my offer or expectations change. I like that. That's a very uh, practical approach. I've made uh, several notes as well. Uh, I still want to go into the leverages, but before that, there was another question. I'm just trying to remember my thoughts gone blank here. And that is, you are going to introduce uh, a few things later on, like you've teased communities and uh, courses, and I want you to leave the benefits and advantage of, of that into the leverage discussion that we'll go into. But I'm just curious, are you going to uh, to remove certain things in your offer or on your page, or will you have it in a way that's clear and still aligns with the simplicity approach that you're taking? Right now, I'm going to still keep the offer at the same price as it is now, but in the future, I want to pair it with uh, my own system, my own product. I won't spoil it too much, but the price of the offer is going to change drastically. I don't know when, but definitely in the future, once I get that up and working. And also, I want to create a low-ticket, affordable product, just sharing some of my sales tips. Because only after selling you know, over five figures, I can actually tell people how to sell. Because uh, I wanted to actually make a guide uh, on monetization way, way earlier on. And I've done like cash printer blueprint, but it didn't stick because it was just a mix of threads. And sure, it's valuable to someone who's a beginner, but I prefer a more streamlined approach. And I also want to 
make use of videos. I think that they're way more digestible and people just love seeing and hearing someone in person. It just makes the content hit so, so much more. And uh, you can expect something like that. And also, I think that I won't spoil you on too much in the future, but it's probably going to be paired with my own offer. I'm definitely intrigued and uh, looking forward to it. I know you're always cooking uh, in the background. Even the community, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how that unfolds, how you structure it and what's happening. And there's, there's many teasers. Let's talk about leveraging because that is essentially what you're doing. You're building up towards this uh, one-to-many model. And you've talked before about high leverage, low leverage in a few threads. And I also remember in, I think, one of your giveaways already as well. So tell me about your switch to it and how, what you're thinking. Honestly, the first giveaways were more targeted to my ideal fans because I didn't even have a solid offer. The second one was directly targeted to my ICP, which I basically, I think, tried to guess like at the time. I didn't have a quite good system. It was in March. So, you know, tons of things have changed since then. But right now, I come to giveaways as sort of a way to get leads, but also my ideal audience. Because if you make it niche, so for example, I tar target direct metrics or direct approach I've used to get uh, certain results, then there's a huge chance that I'll get uh, many less follows and overall the amount of people that will come from me from that giveaway will be also smaller. But the amount of people that will be in this certain niche and they'll be actually interested and nurtured by my content will be way higher. And I plan to use giveaways merely as a launching point for low ticket products from now on. So I'll probably get uh, 50, maybe up to 100 spots free, and then it goes paid forever. And uh, I'm also definitely looking to leverage testimonials from products. So if I drop something, don't expect it to be so easy that you just reach it and comment and like. I also want something from you after you go through the product. Definitely, uh, you can see that testimonials are much needed when it comes to, especially giveaways, it's crazy. Like I know your giveaways do 300 plus, uh, 500 at one point, probably even more. I'm not really keeping out on the metrics anymore, but I know you, you have a crazy amount of people who comment. And if you think about these people who are downloading, that's a crazy amount of testimonials to put on that sales page for that specific product when you do transition to a paid. So it's a definitely a win-win. Um, I could definitely see that. You know, you made a comment on deep diving into your sales process. Uh, I was thinking I'd give you some time to go into it. Do you want to outline it or do you want to deep dive into the different parts? It's all up to you. Yeah, I probably just outline it because uh, it would be too long. And I also have to hop off the space like 10 past 6 p.m. So in around half an hour. So I just go through it quickly. Basically, my process starts mostly with inbounds. 95% of my clients are inbound. The 5% is prospecting. So what I'm actually doing is once someone comes for me, I try to analyze them, whether they can afford my services or not. Because if I spot that someone is uh, in 99% uh, broken, then I'll just probably give them some basic advice. And if they're annoying, and they are just trying to spam me, for example, get something for free, I'll skip them. But if I think that someone is qualified, then I either send them some questions, trying to qualify them further. So for example, what is the distant outcome you want for Twitter? Or for example, have you had any previous mentors? Through which it's also a very good non-invasive question that allows you to know whether they can and afford your services and whatever they do want to actually get your services. So it's definitely a good thing to ask whether they had a mentor or courses or products regarding the certain thing you want to help them with. And uh, if they agree, and uh, if they are not hesitant, I would just go on and send them an offer doc. And what really worked for me well to let people and actually make them respond to me, to make them not ghost me, was trying to follow up the offer doc with a voice message. So whether that was just asking for them to shot me a quick yes or no after they go through the offer, 
or just trying to give them some free knowledge. It really varies. You can do anything, but I just think that leveraging voice messages instantly after sending the offer doc or just your offer, it works nicely. And that's pretty much the way through which I've closed people without hopping on calls in 80% of cases, I think. Around 80%. The remaining 20% either needed a call or I just didn't close. But it's also what's truly important for me is I want to save time. And uh, if someone is unqualified and they're hesitant and they try to, you know, uh, they don't ask for my questions or don't ask for them in a way in which I would like it, I'll just probably either send them a doc without a follow-up or just instantly, you know, I will stop actually pushing it down their throat. I'm not annoying and I'm not trying to uh, constantly spam them with follow-ups. But if someone, for example, for one or two days, they're saying, I'll get back to you. And after one or two days, they did not. Then either I just send them a quick follow-up or also a voice message. But I recommend to send voice messages because they get higher answer rates. And if someone ignores their voice messages, then I just think, skip them. They probably won't buy your offer. Mm, I had a very busy person. They did an agency and I closed them later. They didn't answer my voice messages for around half a day. And once they did, I closed them. So I think if someone ignores your voice messages for longer than a day or two, just skip them. They are not interested. And uh, they were just wasting your own time. I like your approach to this, Seb, uh, because the typical way is like that you hear people say is, get on a qualifying call and then book them for the next call and then try to close them and then deal with objections. And I'm with you on not wanting to waste time and I really can't be bothered to, uh, like if you're, if someone's truly interested in what you have to offer, they will almost like be the ones who need your attention. They want you to close even if you're ignoring them. And not in a negative sense, but they really want to work with you, right? And that's the type of people you want to work with. But if you're the one who's running around and you're desperate and you're trying to close that sale and ask this and that, then this is, you're wasting your own time and you're probably targeting the wrong ICP. You might need to refine it with your content and attract or spend time with people who are truly in line with what you're trying to offer. What do you want to talk about? Is there anything you want to expand upon um, that you've talked about, anything new? Or do you want to tease anything? I'll leave this one as an open question for you. Yeah, honestly, the idea that giveaways are bad, I want to get back on that because I saw a lot of newbies or even a lot of intermediates just get annoyed that giveaways are bad and you should ignore them. and They don't get you quality followers. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. You're just building your giveaways wrong. You don't target anyone and you don't know how to build a proper giveaway. So I'll just give a very quick template to do so. It doesn't take more than a minute or so to explain. So basically get your perfect ICP, then write out a thread, see if it sticks. If it did, write an email on the same topic. Once it also sticks, so for example, it gets high open rates, high click rates, or just you get many replies to it, made it into a product. You should definitely make it in Notion, maybe a video course, just try to explain the same subject and make it a very viable solution. So a package of five or up to probably 10 or so looms, each lasting around two to five minutes is good enough. Add in some text. I think that you could record a presentation made in Canva uh, alongside the actual loom. So you get the examples, package it up, then make it into a giveaway like, appreciate, comment, and follow format is good. Then bundle it up onto Lemon Squeezy, Gumroad, or your landing page, or just anything. Make it so first uh, 50 or 100 spots are free, then close them, and ask those 50 or 100 people to give you a testimonial once they go through it, or if you got a lot of replies in the DMs of people loved it. And then monetize the product after those 50 or 100 spots or so to like 20, 30 bucks. And then add an upsell version, for example, get the product and my previous products and a one-on-one, one-hour call with me for a 250 bucks. And it will work nicely.
That's an excellent strategy. I actually like the way you've done that. And I was uh, talking to someone a few days ago uh, about validating the product that you're making instead of trying to put together something random, find a way to uh, validate it with your audience to know that they want it and that will increase this conversion and people uh, later on buying it too. So I love the, I love the way you went, went about it. Want to tell the listeners about anything before uh, you go, any offers? Uh, I have plugged in your bio link in the comments so guys can check out the offer there but i'll let you do the rest so basically i think that we should wrap it up uh, thank for all of you to actually that you came here that you've listened and currently i'm in the process of uh, making a product that will mostly focus on sales so that's definitely coming i would keep an eye out for this and also, if uh, any of you need help with scaling your own personal brand, you can afford high ticket prices and want to actually leverage it to get traffic to either your mid high ticket products or just your services, then uh, I'm your guy and uh, I'm eager to work with you. And so if any of you are even interested in this, hit me up and uh, we'll get something working. Right now I'm working with seven clients just in June, but... Uh, if too many of you actually come to me, I just add you to the waiting list. So I'll let you know, and uh, it's an honest, but also a very specific offer to people who are serious about Twitter, not to beginners. And I think, but if you want to grow from zero with me as a mentor, then you actually should have some prior experience in your nine to five or in business, because I can't scale a brand of someone who's uninteresting and has nothing to give. There you have it, folks. If you want to, Seb's the guy for anything to do with personal um, branding growth and having an unforgettable brand connecting with your audience. He has a no BS approach, so definitely uh, check out what he has to say and uh, Remnant product as well. Uh, that's all for today's episode. Guys, thanks again for joining me here, Seb, and all the great insights you've shared with us. And If you love this episode, quote, retweet, tell us what you guys have liked uh, about it reach out to Seb, let him know above all that you've enjoyed this episode and that you are taking on the frameworks and advice he's been given here because he just delivered a masterclass. And that concludes season one, guys. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you guys in season two. Thanks again, Seb.